Hey, Keystoners. Welcome back to Keystone State of Mind. It's me, Steph, your tour guide to the dark side of Pennsylvania. How is everybody doing? Things are finally starting to settle down, I think. Protests are still going on, but they've become more peaceful, which I love to see. States are opening back up. I know Pennsylvania, at least where I live in northeastern Pennsylvania, pretty much everything's open. We don't have to wear masks everywhere anymore. Cases of COVID are minimizing, at least where I'm at. So I am super excited that we're getting back to some normalcy around here. The weather is beautiful. I couldn't be happier. I hope all the Keystoners are as pleased as I am with the way life is going. The story I have for you today has a little bit of everything that KSOM is all about. History, legend, ghosts, and murder. I cannot wait to share the story, but first I have some shout outs. I wanna say hey to Josh, who recently joined the KSOM Keystoners Facebook group and made his first post in there. So thanks, Josh. Welcome to the group. We're glad to have you. I also have a big shout out for Tony. Tony actually reached out to me through a different group that I'm a part of. That's like a Bradford County, Pennsylvania history group. And she is a postal carrier in New Hampshire and has just started listening to the show. So she let me know that she loves KSOM and she loves my Northeast Pennsylvania accent. So thank you so much, Tony and Josh. Welcome to the KSOM crew. I still have lots of stickers to give out. So if anybody wants some free stickers, I will mail them to you. Just send me your address via the email Steph at KSOMthepod.com or through Facebook Messenger from the KSOM Facebook page. Don't forget to keep the ratings and reviews coming at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. I also wanted to tell you guys about my first piece of fan art that I re received recently. And it was from my daughter, but that's okay. She's still a fan. So thank you to my daughter, Sunshine, for my beautiful gift. And I shared a picture of it in the KSOM Keystoners Facebook group. It's a really cool hand-drawn picture that Sunshine had put on canvas for me. And I absolutely love what she drew. And I'd really like to have that put on some merch. So I'm going to work on that. So that's it for shout outs and announcements, but there's still one thing left to do, you guys. Let's get into a Keystone State of Mind. As always, I'll be enjoying an ice cold can of Keystone Light while I tell you today's story. On December 27th, 1996, the opening crew of the General Wayne Inn came across a horrific scene. They found their boss, the executive chef and part owner of the General Wayne, dead in his office. 
Jim Webb was only 31 years old, and he left behind a wife and two small children. But before I can tell you the story of Jim Webb and his horrific murder, I first have to tell you a little bit about the General Wayne Inn itself. And our story begins over 300 years ago, back in 1704. So the General Wayne Inn is located on Lancaster Avenue. I said that right this time, right, Kathy? on Lancaster Avenue in Marion, Pennsylvania, which is a suburb of Philadelphia. The inn was built in 1704 and was originally called the Wayside Inn. When it was built, the land that it was built on was owned by William Penn, who is the founder of Pennsylvania. And the Wayside Inn was the place to be for the who's who of Philadelphia in the 1700s. Politicians, statesmen, and the wealthy elite of Pennsylvania were up in the club, hobnobbing, networking, you know, like Jay-Z and Beyonce, or whoever's hot right now, I don't even know, what Post Malone, maybe? I have no idea. Just stop me right there. And yes, I know, probably no one cool at all says hobnobbing. I don't know where I just pulled that out of. But anyways, you get the idea. Fancy ass people were hanging out in the Wayside Inn to be seen, basically. And the inn was located on a road that was very well traveled called the Old Lancaster Roadway. So lots of people stopped in there too. Not just fancy people, but travelers, people who needed to get something to eat or spend the night. Actually, the Wayside Inn wore a lot of hats. There was a lot going on there. It was a hotel and restaurant, also a stable to board your horses, and a post office. And even at sometimes, it was a polling place. So this was kind of like the hub in early Philadelphia. The name change from the Wayside Inn to the General Wayne Inn came after General Anthony Wayne had a three-day-long celebration there after signing a treaty ending years of conflict with American Indians in the Ohio Valley. I wasn't able to find the year when the name of the establishment changed. So from now on, I'm just going to call it the General Wayne Inn, but I can't say for sure when that happened. So some big names hung out at the General Wayne Inn, like George Washington, maybe you heard of him. Uh, Benjamin Franklin was actually the postmaster at the General Wayne for a time, and Edgar Allan Poe wrote part of his very famous poem, The Raven, at the General Wayne Inn in 1836. Now, I promised you guys ghosts in this story. So here's where that comes in. During the American Revolution, the British Army employed Hessian mercenaries, which were paid soldiers from Hess, Germany, to assist in their fight against the rebels, the Continental Army. 
Now, these Hessian mercenaries didn't really give a shit who won the fight. They were there to get paid. They were just good soldiers who needed a paycheck. The Hessian soldiers took occupation of the General Wayne for a time. And that is documented, but here's where we're going to start getting into a little bit of legend. Supposedly, there was an underground tunnel from the General Wayne that led out into a field just outside of town, and the Hessians didn't know it was there. So while they were hanging out in the General Wayne doing whatever they were doing, the Continental soldiers, the American soldiers, I guess we should say, were able to sneak up on them inside the General Wayne through that tunnel. For whatever reason, the Continental Army did not just go storm the General Wayne in, even though they had that tactical advantage. But legend holds that if a single Hessian soldier would straggle down to the basement, that's when the American soldiers would strike and kill him and kind of like hide his body. Actually, one old timey rumor says that they actually buried a Hessian soldier inside the walls of the basement of the General Wayne Inn. No one knows for sure how many Hessian soldiers were killed in that basement, but these are the ghosts that supposedly haunt the General Wayne Inn. The first documented ghost sighting in the General Wayne came from November 7th, 1848. This was the day of the presidential election between Zachary Taylor and a man you've probably never heard of because he was not elected president, Lewis Cass. The inn was used as a polling place for that election. And according to old journals, a woman went downstairs to get more ballots. And when she came back up, she told everybody, there's a soldier downstairs. And they're like, what? A soldier? Yeah, he's wearing a green coat with yellow embellishments. And that was the uniform of the Hessians during the Revolutionary War. Of course, when other people went down to check it out, the soldier was gone. And that is what started the ghostly tales at the General Wayne Inn. I have a few more ghost stories to tell you about the General Wayne, and this information I got from an episode of Unsolved Mysteries, as well as an article called The Ghost at the General Wayne Inn, written by Larry Menti. And Larry Menti's dad actually was featured in that segment on Unsolved Mysteries. I really wanted to take a little bit of audio from that episode, but honestly, I just don't dare. I don't have consent to use any part of that episode, and I don't want to get sued. Also, I don't want to plagiarize other people's shit, so bummer. I have no audio clips from that episode, but it's out there if you want to watch it. And I linked the YouTube video in the show notes. According to one of the historians quoted on Unsolved Mysteries, there were hundreds and hundreds of incidents that happened at the General Wayne that couldn't be explained. 
one of which was a young man, a valet, who worked at the General Wayne in the 70s, was walking by the lot of cars. And on a side note, in the Unsolved Mysteries episode, they had this guy dressed in an orange jumpsuit like he just broke out of jail. I don't know why they did that. Like, I don't think valets wear orange jumpsuits, guys, just so you know. But anyways, this kid was walking past a row of parked cars that were locked and the keys were inside in the valet area or whatever. And this one car just started up all by itself. The horn started blowing. The windshield wipers were going. The headlights were flashing. Now, the skeptic in me is like, eh, was this kind of an early form of like a anti-theft system, like an alarm? But they called it a ghostly incident anyway. Another employee at the inn named Alice Gormley reported that one day she was alone in a quiet area of the inn and she heard someone call her name twice. Alice, Alice. So she walked out into the other room expecting to see someone that needed something from her. And there she saw a man, a soldier, garbed in a green coat with yellow embellishments. She asked the man, can I help you? And at that moment, he disappeared completely. A maitre d' at the inn named Dave Rogers reported that in 1972, he was walking through the kitchen and he saw a head just sitting on top of the bread warmer. He said it didn't quite register at first and he just walked out the door. And when it finally dawned on him what he had just seen, he went back in to look and the head was gone. And he then started shouting at everybody else in the kitchen. I just saw a head. I just saw a head. And of course, nobody else saw the head, but apparently dude saw a head on the bread warmer. A man named Bart Johnson was also featured in the Unsolved Mysteries episode, and he owned the General Wayne Inn from 1970 until 1996. He said he saw many, many strange occurrences. He never actually saw a ghost, but he completely believed that it was ghosts that were doing all this weird shit. One thing in particular that stood out to him was that there would be a bunch of ladies sitting at the bar and guys kind of standing behind them. All of a sudden, he would notice that these girls were turning around and like yelling at the guys behind him like, what are you doing? Knock that shit off. What are you doing? The ghost apparently would go around blowing on the necks of these ladies kind of as a joke to make the ladies think that the guy behind her just blew on her neck, like trying to make out or whatever. And Bart Johnson just thought it was the funniest fucking thing he ever saw. He loved it. He said he loved the ghosts. They were his favorite. Well, he didn't say that verbatim, but that's kind of the vibe I, I got off this guy. Okay, so that's the history of the General Wayne Inn and a little bit about the ghostly nonsense that goes on there. And now we can start getting into the murder of Jim Webb. Now, if you're a big fucking dork like me, that name is going to kind of sound familiar. I instantly thought of Dragnet. 
Joe Friday on Dragnet, the old black and white show. Well, I think it went color at some point, whatever. But his the actor's name was Jack Webb. And this whole time, all I can think of is Dragnet when I'm researching this episode. But I love classic TV because I'm a nerd and I don't know. I just do. It's probably irrelevant. Most of you don't even know what I'm talking about right now. But I thought I'd throw that in there. So anyways, back on track. Jim Webb was a chef by trade. Him and his good buddy, Guy Saleo, purchased the General Wayne Inn in 1995 and put a bunch of money into it to try to restore it to its previous grandeur. At that point, the building was almost 300 years old and needed a lot of work. But it had been the longest running open restaurant in the country. Like, it had so much history, obviously. George Washington ate there. Ben Franklin worked there. Like, this should be a moneymaker, right? Well, not so much. By the end of 1996, Guy Saleo and Jim Webb were in debt to the tune of like $1.2 million. After fixing up this restaurant and it really just didn't do that well. Apparently, Jim Webb was horrible to work for. He was a great chef and had a great mind for business, but he was not nice to his employees. He was kind of a dick. People didn't really like him that much. And Guy Saleo, although he was married, was quite the ladies' man, especially with the waitstaff and with the sous chef named Felicia Moyes. Also, Guy had started drinking quite heavily and drinking on the job. So he really just could not function at work and was not doing his part or pulling his weight. I know I've been getting sidetracked a little bit in this episode, but come on, who names their kid Guy? Really? Guy? Apologies to any listeners named Guy or who named their kid Guy. And in Saleo's defense, he was Guy Jr., but that makes it even worse. If your name was Guy, why would you name your kid Guy too? <laughs> Didn't you get enough teasing? What? Meanwhile, I revealed in this episode that my daughter's name is Sunshine, so I really can't talk about weird names. I don't have a leg to stand on here. So, moving on. Okay, back on track once again. So, I started this episode with the discovery of Jim Webb's body on December 27th, 1996. In the morning when the staff of the General Wayne came in to open the restaurant. And I actually do have a clip of the 911 call when this discovery was reported. 911, So the audio is not great. But it says something like this. I think our executive chef is dead. 
He fell and hit his head. Somebody yells, oh my God. He's purple. He's cold. We need an ambulance right away. So the staff that found him believed that he had fell and hit his head because he had like a large goose egg on his forehead. That was what everybody believed happened at first. But once police got in there and started investigating, they found a 25 caliber shell casing in the cash drawer on Jim Webb's desk. Now, they knew that this could not be a robbery because there was like seven grand in the safe. Plus, Jim Webb had a couple hundred dollars on him, as well as a very valuable gold chain around his neck. Another thing that investigators noticed right away was that Jim was in an office on the third floor. This was a huge building, and I will share pictures of the General Wayne. Just a casual diner or a robber or just someone who did not know the layout of the building wouldn't even know that that office was there. Investigators also noticed that on their way up the stairs to survey the scene, that the stairs were super creaky and loud. There's no way somebody could have snuck up there without Jim Webb knowing. So that told them right away that Jim knew his killer. At autopsy, the medical examiner found that that goose egg on Jim's forehead was not from him falling. That was actually a bullet that was lodged in his skull that made that bulging anomaly. So it was clear to detectives after that that Jim had been shot in the back of the head while he was sitting at his desk by someone that he knew and trusted. The first logical person to look at was Jim's wife, Robin. She was the business manager at the General Wayne Inn, and she didn't have an alibi. Police asked her, what time did Jim come home last night? She didn't know. She was sleeping. Well, what time did he leave in the morning then? She couldn't answer that either. But this wasn't uncommon. Jim would stay late at the restaurant and then get up and leave early before Robin got up got up in the morning. She was very much used to Jim's long hours and didn't really keep tabs on him. Robin was home sleeping with her kids. That's all she could answer. Next, the police started looking at maybe any disgruntled employees. And they found that just a couple of months earlier, one waiter had been fired from the General Wayne Inn. This waiter had been double charging customers' credit cards and then pocketing the cash. So obviously he was arrested and fired. But this guy had an airtight alibi for the night of Jim's murder because he was actually in custody for a different forgery offense at the time. So who's left to investigate? Well, it would be the business partner, Guy Saleo. Police found out that Guy and Jim both had 
insurance policies of $650,000 on one another as business partners. This isn't uncommon. These guys were way in debt. They sunk a shitload of money into this place. They needed some insurance. But police also found out that Jim was getting ready to close the restaurant and dissolve his partnership with Guy Saleo. So now there's a lot of motive going on. Police questioned Guy Saleo early on, and he had an alibi. He was out with his little chippy, Felicia Moyes. His wife, Denise, was home alone on the day after Christmas. Felicia Moyes verified Saleo's alibi. She said that they left the restaurant in separate cars and were heading to a Christmas party. She had a run a quick errand, and when she got to the Christmas party, Guy Saleo was already there. So, yeah, she was with him almost all of the night, minus, you know, a few minutes. That may have been the end of the investigation into Guy Saleo, except he slipped up. He was speaking to Robin, Jim Webb's wife, and he said, who would want to shoot Jim? And here's the thing. Police had not told anyone, including Jim Webb's family, that he'd been shot. So this was news to Robin. So Robin goes to the police like, Jim was shot? What? And that's when investigators knew that they had their man. Because they held that information back on purpose. As far as anyone knew, Jim had a bump on his head. He was killed by blunt force trauma. At that point, they hadn't even released that he was murdered. So now they knew who the killer was. Saleo had motive, but they had to prove it. They needed hard evidence. Detectives uncovered that just three weeks earlier, Guy Saleo had purchased a 25 caliber handgun, the same caliber used to kill Jim Webb. Saleo quickly turned over his gun. Forensic investigators test-fired the weapon and found that it was not the same weapon that fired the bullet that killed Jim Webb. So this was a real setback in the investigation. So now detectives start questioning, did Guy Saleo have another gun that was not registered and that he was hiding from the police. So remember that waiter that was a suspect early on who had an airtight alibi, who was a slimy character that liked to steal money? Yeah, well, he had a little story to tell detectives. He said that Guy Saleo did own another gun. It was an older handgun, a 25 caliber Beretta, with a tip-up barrel. I am not a gun person. I don't know why you would need your barrel to 
flip up like that, but apparently it's a cool feature. But this guy's kind of a dingus. He's a known criminal and they can't just take his word for it, really. So they convince this guy to wear a wire and go to Guy Saleo and ask to buy this weapon. And it worked. Saleo did admit to having that weapon on tape, but he said it never worked. It's old. My grandfather brought it back from Italy after the war. I don't have it anymore. I don't even know what happened to it. Well, this gave investigators a little bit more of a push. And they're like, okay, we know he had another weapon. We've got to look through this evidence again. Now, this is two years after Jim Webb's death. They've had Guy Saleo's 25 caliber handgun that he turned in early on in the investigation this whole time. And Saleo turned that weapon in still in its holster. It was a older leather holster that he kept the weapon in. So one sharp investigator's like, let's take a closer look at the holster and see what we can find. So the forensic team disassembles the holster and looks at the impressions in the leather. And they found that all of the impressions that were there didn't match the gun that they had in evidence. Some of them did. It was obvious that that gun had been held in the holster, but it was also obvious that a different gun had also been in there as well. These secondary impressions were perfectly matched to a Beretta Model 20 with a tip-up barrel. In addition to this, investigators also found a box of ammunition in Guy Saleo's office at the General Wayne that perfectly matched the bullet that killed Jim Webb. So with all this forensic evidence and the motive Plus the shaky alibi. Two years later, police were finally able to arrest Guy Saleo for the murder of his business partner and his very good friend, Jim Webb. But we're not quite at the end of our story here. Remember Felicia Moyes, the sous chef that Guy Saleo was having an affair with? Well, just a month after the murder... Felicia was found dead in her apartment from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Or at least that's what the official report says. To this day, investigators believe that Felicia had nothing to do with the murder and she took her own life because of the guilt she felt over being used by Guy Saleo as an alibi in the murder of her boss. But I question that. I don't know anything about Felicia Moyes. I don't know if she had a history of depression, if she was susceptible to those type of feelings. But I really do wonder, did she know? Was she a loose end that Guy Saleo had to tie up? And Felicia's suicide 
was part of Guy Saleo's defense. His defense team presented an alternate scenario. Maybe Felicia Moyes killed Jim Webb and then took her own life out of guilt of the murder. Well, the jury didn't buy it. They sentenced Guy Saleo to life in prison. He was 29 years old at the time of the murder, and he was 32 years old at the time of his sentencing. He never admitted his guilt, still to this day. Saleo was actually granted a new trial in 2010, but as far as I can tell, that never actually happened. I think they actually squashed that ruling, and he never actually did get a new trial. As recently as 2017, Saleo submitted another appeal, and this is his last appeal. This is his last chance. And I can't find anything more about him. I don't believe this last appeal was granted, but I can't find Guy Saleo on the inmate locator. There's a website for Pennsylvania inmates called Inmate Locator. I use it all the time for research for the podcast. And Guy Saleo is not on there. So that tells me either one, he's been paroled, which I don't believe because I think it would have been a huge media event. Or two, maybe he's been moved to an out-of-state prison, which I know does happen. Personally, I hope he's in solitary confinement somewhere, feeling like a big piece of shit, because he was Jim Webb's good friend. They were friends for years. It's so sad to me that you could kill someone that you've cared about, that has a family, for money. $650,000 is a lot of money. And especially in 1996, in today's money, that's over a million dollars. But you couldn't pay me billions to kill my best friend. No way. I have no question in my mind that Guy Saleo killed Jim Webb. The only question I have in this case is if Felicia Moyes really did take her own life. And if she did... Is it because of what she knew? Investigators do not believe she was involved in any way or had any knowledge of the crime. But I'm not convinced. So whatever happened to the General Wayne Inn? Well, in 2005, it was purchased by the Shabbat Center for Jewish Life. And it was converted into a synagogue and a Lubavitch Outreach Center. I have no idea what that means. I'm not Jewish. If I have any Jewish listeners, please enlighten me on this subject. So that was a really cool story. That was one of my favorite episodes I've done so far because of all the different aspects of history and legend and true crime. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did.
please keep reaching out and telling me what you think of the show. I look forward to every message I get from every single person. Thank you so much, guys, for listening. Listenership is growing. And I hope to have something special coming out for you around the 25th episode. This is episode 19. And I think around episode 25, I'm going to be able to offer some like bonus content. And hopefully I'll get some new merch out there. I just really appreciate you guys listening so much. Keep on keeping on. And whatever you do. Stay keystone, my friends.